morning, I want to start by asking you this very simple question today. What does it mean to be blessed? That is the question that I have for you, is what does it mean to be blessed? Because each one of us probably could answer that question differently, but I think that there's probably one kind of general answer that most of us could agree on. I know that my whole life I have thought of what it means to be blessed as blessed is the adjective and blessings is the noun. Now, if I get my second grade grammar correct here, I'm sure that most of us would correlate those two, that there are blessings in my life. Now, I often think of blessings as added value. So if I have good relationships in my life, they're blessings. If I get a promotion in my life, that is a blessing. If I have a child in my life, that is a blessing. If we move and it's a better part of town and we, it's a house that we've always wanted and it's a part of, we maybe move out of state or we maybe moved into state. These are blessings because they're nouns. They're human relationships. It's something. It's a new job, a new marriage, a new child. And these are blessings. But Jesus has this really mysterious, paradoxical way of taking what we have always assumed as something that is real and redefining it for us. And so this morning, as we jump into a brand new summer message series called Blessed, we're going to look at the list of Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And what you will discover, family, is that what we think blessed means is not what Jesus meant is not what he is meaning for blessed to mean. So Jesus began his ministry at 30 years old. And so when Jesus uh, started this ministry of his, he actually started it with a sermon. Uh, he started it on, this, on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. That's the famous term for this part of Matthew chapter 5. And this was the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus, can you picture him on the side of a hill or a mountain, and he's speaking to crowds of people. And the beautiful part about this first sermon that Jesus gave is that he is giving it to a very eclectic group of people. There's both Jew and Gentile present, and the crowds from the area would have represented a modern-day equivalent blue-collar, white-collar the socioeconomic diversity in the group of people that Jesus is speaking to tells us something today, which is that you cannot count yourself out of Jesus' words. And I know some of y'all are super good at doing that. Some of y'all are sitting there thinking like, oh, this is for somebody else, but not, not me. No, it's for you, and it's for me. And it's for every heartbeat in this room this morning. The power of the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus taking his first public words. After a ministry of privacy and fasting, 40 days in the wilderness, he calls his disciples. He's completely empty of food but filled with the Holy Spirit. And he starts his ministry by calling in those into his circle. He was a rabbi. He called students into his inner circle and then makes a first public ministry of the Sermon 
on the mount. And wouldn't you know that the first topic that Jesus gets to in all of the Gospel of Matthew is the topic of blessed or blessings. Now, this would have been radical. Why? Because there was a Jewish understanding of blessings, much like our understanding of blessings today. Remember, it's easy to correlate blessed and blessings. Blessed is the verb, or excuse me, the adjective. Blessings is the noun. If I have a child, if I get married, if I get a promotion, these are blessings. Well, the Jewish understanding of blessings was identical. The Jewish understanding of blessings was that if you are wealthy, healthy, and powerful, God is on your side. That was the Jewish understanding of blessings and favor. If you are wealthy, and if you are healthy, and if you are powerful, God must love you the most. And if you were naked and penniless and poor in spirit, you have been condemned and forgotten by God. That was the Jewish understanding of God's favor and of God's blessings. So Jesus' very first sermon in Matthew chapter 5, his public ministry begins by correcting this problem, this inner angst, this deep-seated mistruth, a lie that was governing the Jewish understanding of God. Isn't it fun to come to church and get corrected? You see, we actually get a bit of Christ's heart here in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. It says this, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What is Jesus saying? We get an idea that Jesus' heart is for the hurting. Now, before we go any further, there's this um, term that we use in modern society called favoritism. And favoritism is often looked down upon. And, and rightfully so, because favoritism in a family unit or in a workplace, that can be really toxic and unhealthy and can cause a lot of hurt. That's not the favoritism I'm describing right now. Instead, I want to show you that in Mark chapter 2, God does play favorites, but not in the way that would hurt us. Follow me here. God plays favorites in the way that helps us. We have understood favoritism or favor by a parent or a boss. This can be toxic and unhealthy, nepotism. These things exist, but Jesus knows what he is doing. And in Mark chapter 2, we hear Jesus' heart, and he is saying, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. I'm not here to call the righteous. I'm here to call sinners. And I can tell you right now, on the platform, I am the chief of sinners in this room. Because I know my sin better than I know yours, right? We are all in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is calling each and every single one of you, and myself included, and he does play favorites, but not in the way that would hurt us. He's playing favorites in the way that would help us. Jesus begins his public ministry of preaching on the Sermon on the Mount by correcting a Jewish misunderstanding that God favors the healthy, the wealthy, the wise, and the powerful. 
And if you are those things, God's favor must be upon you. He's like, no, 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 that's, that's not the way it works. We must correct this. We must correct this now. So in classic Jesus fashion, his very paradoxical, head-scratching, mysterious upside-down messages get us wondering what this God is really like. And in classic rabbinic fashion, he starts with a list. This is probably Matthew taking the entire body of Jesus' teachings and messages and weaving them into a bit of a list. This was classic rabbi methodology in this day. And so the list is rabbinic. Matthew's taking that list. He's weaving together essentially Jesus' best thematic elements that Jesus is trying to get across. He's summarizing Jesus' main body of teaching and Matthew records this in Matthew chapter 5. This is the word of God. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, remember, this is the eclectic Jewish, Gentile, blue-collar, white-collar, diverse socioeconomic mixture of people present. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed. Are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, can you imagine if you grew up assuming and believing in your core of cores that God's blessing and favor? must be on those who are wealthy, healthy, wise, and powerful. And you heard this rabbi teach this. My only assumption is that a lot of them just wrote him off. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Does this guy know his like, Old Testament stuff? Like, who is this guy? What is he talking about? Doesn't he know that God favors the healthy, wealthy, wise, and powerful? What's going on here? So half of them probably wrote him off, but let's just assume that 100% of them were interested in what he was going to say next. Blessed are the poor in spirit? Wait a second. I thought blessed were those who were full of spirit. Blessed are those who mourn? No, no, no. Pity those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We must understand the original languages here to really get an idea of what Jesus is trying to correct and communicate. The word blessed, I learned this morning that our production director, Chris, knows a good amount of Greek, and so he was helping me with pronunciation this morning, and so let's see if I can get this right. Makaroi, I don't know if I got that right, makaroi, translated is happy or favored. Blessed, happy, or favored. So now we understand that you are happy because you are favored. Okay, well, let's look at the next word. The word poor is parakos, meaning naked or moneyless. And not just actual economic moneyless, but the dual uh, definition of both economic and emotional or spiritual moneyless. Like most of Jesus' teachings, there's dual application here. 
both in the physical reality and the spiritual heavenly realm. Some of those listeners were probably experiencing a patakos, a nakedness or a moneyless or a spiritual bankruptcy like never before. And they just heard this authoritative rabbi say, blessed are you. Blessed are you who are naked and moneyless. Those who are experiencing a spiritual or emotional or mental bankruptcy, you are at the bottom of your spiritual barrel. There's not a drip left in your well. You are empty. Blessed are you. Whoa, what? Because <laughs> I thought blessed was that gal or that guy over there who had it all getting going on. Like they, they've got a full life. All things are going well for them. Surely they're the ones that are blessed, right? And here Jesus is correcting this Jewish misunderstanding of blessing. Makaroi, happy, or favored, parakos, naked, or moneyless, a spiritual bankruptcy. What is Jesus saying? What is he saying to this crowd of this audience of listeners from every walk of life from all around the area? The, the apostles, the, the soon-to-be apostles are listening to these words, not even realizing that in just a little bit of time, they're going to take all of these teachings and commandments and spread them across the Mediterranean, and they would make their way all the way back to this day in 2023 that Americans would hear this sermon on this obscure mountainside all those thousands of years ago. And what was Jesus saying? He was correcting the notion of blessed. That we have correlated blessed and blessings. That we think to be blessed is to have many blessings. And although the word blessings, I don't, no, nothing wrong with that. If you have a new child, that is a blessing. If you get a promotion, that is a blessing. Like if you have a new marriage, that is a blessing. These are blessings. But what did Jesus mean when he used the word makaroi, happy or favored? What did he mean? Listen to this quote from, from Martin Luther. You dear disciples, if you come to preach among the people, you will find that they all teach and believe thus. He who is rich, powerful, etc., is altogether happy. And again, he who is poor and miserable is rejected and condemned before God. For the Jews were firmly fixed in this belief. If it went well with a man, that was a proof that God was gracious to him. And the reverse. Jesus' inauguration of his public ministry was to redefine the word God's favor. Completely, radically redefine God's favor on humanity. And what did he say? That God's favor is on the poor in spirit and on those who mourn. Not when you get spirit, and not when you get comforted. But you've got the favor when you're locking in spirit. 
And while you're mourning, this is totally upside down. This is so paradoxical in our, this is hard to like comprehend because our brain doesn't want to believe that because we've correlated blessings and blessed. And God is saying in Jesus, he's saying, favored are you who are poor in spirit. Favored are you who are mourning. I don't know what your worship life looks like. There are mornings on the weekends where I'll be, you know, just hungry and ready to sing. And I, you should be so happy you cannot hear me sing because I can't sing. But some of y'all can sing. And so, sometimes I come in on a Sunday morning and I'm just hungry to sing. There are other mornings where I'm just like, I'm going to force myself to sing this morning just so I can get into the spirit. There is a difference in those two realities. This is just a silly example. But there are mornings I want to sing because I'm full of the Spirit and I'm ready to go. There are mornings where I am empty of the Spirit and have to force myself to sing so as to become filled with the Holy Spirit. Which one of those two realities is Jesus saying God's favor is on? The emptied. I don't know what your lack of life is right now. I don't know where in your life you are empty or you are lacking. But there is a part or a piece of your life that feels bone dry, that it is lacking in spirit. You are poor in spirit. You are patakos. You are poor in spirit. There's a spiritual or emotional nakedness about you. There's a spiritual or emotional moneyless, a bankruptcy about you. This part of my life, this area of my emotions, this area of my mind or my heart, it is empty and lacking and there's a void. And guess what? God's favor is on you. That's how it works. That's the beauty of the message of Jesus, is that he is not pointing to those whose lives have all gotten figured out and saying, can't you see that God really favored them? No, he's looking right at me and you and saying, I know that there's places in your life that are lacking, that are empty. God's favor is on that. God's favor is on you. And that is such beautiful news. Because all of us find ourselves in a bad routine of trying to become more and more lovable to God. If I could just get my life figured out, if I could just get my ducks in a row, if I can just show God that I'm as lovable as I hope I am. No, stop striving and start surrendering. Stop working super hard for God's attention to build a life that he would approve of and start just surrendering your life to him in every area of your life, resigning it to him, allowing him to step into the space that you have confessed you are unable to create health in. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the best news you're going to get all day, family is that God is favoring what is lacking in your life. I think that there's probably a room full of people this morning that have been just running ragged, trying and striving for God to favor their life by working extra hours, 
by serving him beyond your emotional or mental capacity. You're just starting to do things and going through the motions just so that you can show God, look, I'm lovable, I'm lovable, I'm lovable. All the while he's saying, wait a second, I already loved you in that space in your life that's lacking. I favor that. That tells me that God is both transcendent and imminent. He's fully authoritative and governing and control over all things and all has dominion, has all dominion over all of the earth and yet is intimately present with us now and personal and personable and wants to know every area of your life and knows every area of your life and knows what is lacking in your life and the areas that are lacking in your life, he is favoring. That's the God you love. That's the God you serve. These Beatitudes, family, they're actually pronouncements of favored blessing on those that everyone else assumed were forgotten or undeserving. Now, there might be times in your life where you feel like, wow, I have a lot to be grateful for right now. And I find myself a lot of the times being able to step back and be like, I know this is lacking and this is lacking, but man, I've got this in my life and this in my life and this in my life, and that causes me to be grateful. And God has a message for us that is dual-purposed in blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn, because isn't it sobering to face this music? The very people that we often find ourselves turning our faces from from whatever implicit bias we might have, are probably the very same people God is favoring. Who are the persons in your lives that you have counted out or discounted or don't give a second thought to? By Jesus' definition of blessed, those are the very people that he's blessing, that he's favoring. That's some music to face. And perhaps some of us need the correction of looking at other people's scenarios and their own plight and come to the conclusion that, oh my, God's favor is on them. God's favor is on them right now because of what is lacking in their life. Only as we look in the mirror and reflect on our own lives and acknowledge of how much is lacking in our life can we come to the conclusion that yes, God's favor is upon me, which will help us determine that God's favor is on someone else whose life is lacking too. Now I know that many of you are having a difficult time even accepting that God's favor is upon what is lacking in your life. And you're curious to know, how do I make it go from my head to my heart? How do I go from knowing this intellectually to experiencing this emotionally and relationally? In the, in the, in the presence of relationships or in community, the church that I belong to, how, how do I become someone who doesn't just know, okay, God's favor is upon me, but my life still sucks? Like, how do I become someone who feels God's favor? How do I become someone who is so wrapped up in God's precious pursuit of my heart 
that his love comes after me relentlessly and wants to fill the lacking spaces in my life. How do I find God's favor? How do I feel God's favor? So growing up, my dad had this blue sailboat. It was this like little, just day sailor, kind of a short 14-foot little sailboat. And I remember when I was a kid, my dad, he, he used to take us, uh, myself and my two older brothers, we'd go sailing. And I'll never forget my dad like teaching me these little things about sailing. At the time, they were just not, this is a single sail sailboat. Anybody could sail this little thing. And he named the boat Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I'll tell you, it was a wild ride for sure. I'll never forget it. Because when I was a kid, he would teach me like how to set the boat in the direction that the wind would catch the sail and take the boat in the wind's direction. And he would teach me things like, Luke, quick duck, the boom is coming around so it doesn't knock you out in the head. And I'm thinking, even as an adult, looking back now, like that was kind of dangerous. But he would teach me how to navigate the boat so it would catch the wind. And he would teach me to go about, which is turning the boat and tacking against the wind so you could still sail. If you know anything about sailing, you'll pick up some of these terms. But what term I didn't know at the time, but was real, is when you sail out of the wind and you sail into a bay where there is no more wind, and you try to get out of that bay and back into the wind, it's called being in irons. I thought that was unusual as I was praying through and thinking about this weekend and trying on how to communicate blessed. Some of you have sailed out of God's favor, so to speak, and into a bay. And in that bay, you're experiencing what I would describe as being in irons. Right now, you are trying to figure out how do I get back into God's favor? And you're in irons. You're not moving. You have all this desire to follow God with your life and surrender every element of your life unto God, but you're in irons. There was a time in my life where I was going with God. I was, we were tracking together at the same time and at the same rate, but I ended up in a bay. I ended up in irons. I'm not moving anywhere. I feel like God's favor has completely been taken off of my life. Here's the wild thing about being in irons. All you have to do is take the rudder of the sailboat and turn the thing around like this. And the wind eventually comes around the bay and catches the sail and brings you back in to the wind pattern. Some of you right now are longing and looking for God's favor without realizing that you've already got it. You've already got it. If you are in the bay, if you are in irons, if you feel like there's a place and a space in your life that is lacking, that is God's favor on your life. Because God wants to teach you something while you're in the bay. He wants to bring you himself while you're in those irons. Because only in the bay do you realize you've got to turn that boat back around again. You've got to get it back into the wind pattern. 
You have already got his favor. You must reorient yourself to his wind. I don't know which one of you at what point of your life right now is experiencing lack. It's maybe like a lack in work right now. Maybe there's just like this deep dissatisfaction with your employment. God's favor is on that because Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the paticos. This nakedness, this moneyless, this bankruptcy of the heart. Maybe there's a relationship in your life right now, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, a marriage, strained with your parent, relative, aunt and uncle. God's favor is on that. God's favor is not on what's going well. God's favor is on what's lacking. Are, Are you making the connection? That's the God you serve. The God you serve is intimately aware of what is lacking in your life and wants to bring you out of that bay. And his favor is there. And perhaps there's something else lacking in your life. Maybe there's like this heart that's grown cold to God. Maybe right now you've gone through the motions of church long enough where you're just like, man, I just feel like I just do the same thing week in and week out in my heart. It's just grown cold towards God's God and people. God's favor is on that reality. And he wants to blow fresh wind in your sail to bring you back into his wind pattern. Here's what I learned about sailing my dad's little Mr. Toad's wild ride is that the wind will always take you the direction the wind wants to go and rarely take you the direction that you want to go. Same with God's favor. God's favor doesn't bring you more of what you want. God's favor brings you more of what he wants. Are the two lined up? Are the two in sync? Because God's favor is not going to meet your preferences. He's not going to meet your list of needs and wants, especially if they're contrary to his desire for you. God's favor is going to bring you more of what he wants in your life. It makes me think of Psalm 51 in verse 12. King David says this. He says, bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. And God takes King David from a time of darkness and betrayal to a time of victory. God's new wind in your life will always take you his direction. You must take what is lacking in your life and submit it to him. And he's going to have you be in that bay in irons until you can reorient your boat to his direction. Your life, all of the things that are important to you, all of your relationships, your financial reality, everything in your life that has any value or meaning at all can be steered back into God's direction so that your eyes meet his eyes and his wind can bring you the way he wants to go. I think there's some fresh wind in the room I do. I believe that there is a brand new fresh wind of favor on a few things in this life of ours, especially in 2023. I believe there is a fresh wind of favor on displaced children. This past uh, Christmas, we launched a a campaign called Cities and Suburbs. And part of the uh, objective and vision of Cities and Suburbs is that we would create 
a, a small funding account for anyone in our church family who was trying to finish the process of adoption, but finances were in their way. The team and I have been working on this now for the last you know, five or six months, and we're getting really close to having an application process ready and available for anyone in this church who's got a hurdle in their life, and it's a financial hurdle, and it's the one thing that's keeping you from adopting. I know this kind of seems random and out of nowhere, but it's really not. The reality is, is that there is a need there is a fresh wind of favor on displaced children. Children the foster care, children needing adoption, and our church could be part of God's solution for that. I also believe that there is a fresh wind of favor on Generation Z. That is teenagers and preteens. And there is a need, yes, there is a need, gosh, seemingly more now than ever for the youth of this generation to be brought up and rallied for the gospel cause. And earlier this year, we had a vision uh, to bring a full-time youth pastor on. And we finally secured some funding. We spent, I think, four or five months actively searching nationwide, trying to find a youth pastor who would want to invest in the next generation of youth for a minimum of five years. And we found him. His name is Sam. He's coming from Helena, Montana, and he starts June 18th. And I cannot wait for you to meet this guy. I mean, he went through months of interviews, and he's got the biggest heart. You will love him. I can't wait to see how God might anoint this man unto ministry. Speaking of Generation Z, right now our youth department is being run by volunteers, and they're doing a phenomenal job. And blessings on them. They have organized a bilingual worship night coming up on Monday night, June 12th. And here's what's so cool about this worship night. The, 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 the uh, 20-something that's heading it up was a student of ours years ago. Elizabeth is her name, and she's bringing her team, and they're going to host this bilingual worship night right here at our facility. So parents, parents of students, this is our chance to strike when the iron is hot and put the boat in the direction of God's fresh wind of favor. Remember, God's blessing, God's blessedness, God's favor is on what is lacking. And right now, this church is in a perfect position to bless, to favor children and students. Let's do it. So if you are a parent of a student, do not miss this bilingual worship night coming up on June 12th. You can find out more from Jenna and Justin Cruzy about that event. And finally, I believe there is a fresh wind of favor on those who are experiencing homelessness in our city. And we all felt this, and we all knew this. And we had a teammate come to us uh, at the end of last year and cast a vision to invest in a shower trailer so that we would have the means to build relationships with those who are experiencing homelessness with their principal need, that being showers and hygiene. And so we raised the funds and we bought a shower trailer. And you've probably seen it outside, parked about. The team is currently learning how to use it and operate it and rallying the team and logistics to operate it. 
for the sole purpose of meeting the tangible needs of those who are experiencing homelessness. If that is not proof that God's favor is on what is lacking, then I don't know how else to prove it to you. That's what blessed means, that God's favor is on it. And as a way to celebrate what we believe God is doing in this new outpost ministry, they've changed their name to Showers of Hope now, and the whole team has a vision to operate this thing uh, throughout the weekends and beyond. I, I I wanna invite that entire team right now up to uh, the platform so you can stand right here. So if you serve on the Showers of Hope team, I wanna invite you right now to stand right here. We have Brian. We have Brian. I know there are more on the team. Tiffany, praise God, we got Tiffany. And I also wanna invite... I also want to invite the prayer team. So if we could have at least one or two prayer teammates to come up with me right now. So if you are on the prayer team, if you would just come up here. Perfect. And if there's anyone else that um, serves on the Showers of Hope team, I know that there was a a crowd. You you feel free to come up at any time. And prayer team, would you just come around Brian right now and Tiffany and place your hands on them? And what you see right now is, is God's favor right? What you see is God favoring children and students and those who are experiencing homelessness by God giving Brian a vision for this and his team. And so may this prayer team's um, presence up here right now be a visual representation to you that God has called our church to be a blessing, to bless what is lacking in Indianapolis. So let me just say a prayer as we close this service. Lord Jesus, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for favoring all of us. That there is new wind. There is new wind coming on what is lacking. And each one of us has a desire to point our boat, the life that we have in your direction so that your wind will take us where you want us to go. So God, we pray for an anointing and a favoring over the children, over the students, and over those who are experiencing and suffering homelessness. God, would there just be a heaven-like pouring into Brian and his team in this very prayer. May the lid of his heart be entirely open so it is filled to the top and overflowing with compassion for those who are experiencing the pain. God, would you give him and his team a a celebration of excitement and an anticipation to meet many new people. May many baptisms and salvations take place because this church owns a shower trailer. May you choose this church to meet the tangible needs of those who are experiencing a lack in their lives, God. So would you position Brian his teammates, this prayer team, as we all commit to the children, to the students, and to anyone who is suffering. God, I pray the tires on that trailer would wear out fast because of how often it's used. In Jesus' name, we call upon your power. In Jesus' name, we ask for your compassion on our lives. In Jesus' name, mobilize this church to be a blessed blessing in the city of Indianapolis. And all of God's people agree by saying, amen.